Hey, welcome back to the show. Last episode, Courtney and I went through all our favorite Taylor Swift jams and what they mean to us personally. But this time, we're back to our regular content, and we're talking about something that can be a bit controversial in the mental health space, reunification therapy. Stay tuned. Hi, gorgeous. Hi, darling. You have a. I am sweaty and a little gross because it's a tropical, tropical island here in Georgia. Correct. It is. Yeah. Which is ironic. Interred. Why is that ironic? You're sweating in a tank top, and I'm fully in a sweater. Mm-mm. that is not ironic that is perimenopause we'll save that episode yeah. for later Wasn't yeah I just got my hair cut I did have an Instagram and I, I'm i locked out of it I'm locked out of it I can't get into it it's probably very it's probably very simple to get into but um life happened and I just kept moving but yeah it's it. called um this mer- this perimenopausal life I yeah think. yeah yeah I yeah, because now every time I hear someone say perimenopausal, that is the first thing I think of is that Instagram account. Yeah, like yeah, Courtney. It was basically all the ways I was experiencing brain fog It'll and hot flashes. And that. you know what? It's it's still here. Yeah. Still working on it. Hence the shorter haircut that I have today because I cannot stand for my hair to touch the back of my neck anymore. I love that. I get I okay. It happens every single time to me. I love having long hair. Like I love having long hair, Mm -hmm. but when I'm like growing it out, I get, it gets to this awkward length where it's like right here at my collarbone yeah. and I feel like so uncomfortable and I tickle it. Yes. And I feel like it doesn't look good and it's physically uncomfortable and I don't like Mm -hmm. it. And so then I'm like, I just, I need it off. I need to cut it all off again. So, um, I also cut all my hair off. (laughs) The difference is you actually go to a salon um, you go to a hairdresser, whereas I, I just went to Sally's and bought a pair of uh, haircutting shears like eons ago, and I just chop it off in my bathroom. Well, that's impressive. I mean, I can French braid my own hair, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, anytime I've tried to color it, there was um, a time I accidentally dyed it jet black in the dead of winter without the tan and I scared all my friends when I came back to college that happened oh, yeah there's it. been so I just leave it to the professionals now um yeah, I'm not gonna lie I do um I was blonde not too long ago yes that you were that, yeah that was like six seven months ago no it was longer than that is that like a year ago yeah yeah that was a little over a year ago um did that myself just got some bleach and said okay the the thing that I have noticed for myself on why I feel okay and comfortable doing my own hair is because I don't care what happens to my hair I just don't and and like you hear the horror stories of like I burned all my hair off with bleach and then I had to like cut all my hair into a pixie cut and I have always wanted to shave my head but I'm too afraid to do it Oh, wow. So I think in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. whenever I'm doing something with my hair, I'm like, if this goes wrong, I'll just have to like, I'll just have to buzz it all off. Yeah. So you've created a win-win scenario for exactly. yourself. Exactly. That's exactly. brilliant. It stresses, it stresses Liz out so much. I bet. Because she's like very, she loves her hair. She's very like, yes. It's funny. Cause she still lets me cut her hair. <laughs> like 
she still just lets me do that you obviously um, have skills I mean that, that's the thing is she's like I have seen you do some of the most insane things to your own mm-hmm. hair and every time it still looks amazing at this point I just trust you to do what you're gonna do that's impressive like, I would not trust just, you I am too meticulous yeah, don't do that <laughs> I don't mind drastic changes, but I want the drastic change to be um, perfectly couture. Something specifically like this is what you wanted. This is what you plan to happen. This is good. Yeah, no. Um, I walk into my salon and by that I mean my bathroom and mm -hmm. I'm just like, you know what? Whatever happens is what happens. I'm here for a good time. So let's go. And then it's it's up to the universe at that point on whatever's going to yeah. happen. We all have kind of like categories that we're more free spirited in. Your hair is obviously yeah. yours. My hair is not mine. Yeah. I just don't, I just yeah. don't care about my hair. Like I'm just yeah. kind of like, whatever, whatever's going to happen yeah. is what's going to happen. Also, because I did the whole um, like p- princess thing for kids' birthday parties. Oh yeah. You dressed up as princesses. Yeah. I am amazing at wigs now. Like yeah, and wigs, wigs are like at a whole new level now. Wigs are like a part of your outfit now when you're going out. Exactly. So I have like, a long okay. ponytail wig. That's amazing. Just like a ponytail yes. extension that you just can like. Yeah, you just attach, attach it to your ponytail. And it's long, so like even with short oh, hair, I can pull it back for like a low pony and then just drape it down the side. Yes, um, I did that for the Casey Musgraves concert. I love that. Yes. Yeah. No, I just have a small collection of wigs. I have a blonde mm-hmm. one. I have a short brown one, which is funny because my hair is brown, so, and it's short right now, so I don't, like, actually need that, <laughs> yeah. um, and then I, I have a solid black one, I have um, a gray one that's, like, um, it's not technically gray, it's more of, like, a silver, silvery mm-hmm. type color, really pretty, um, and then I do have a red, like, an auburn red one that I really like, nice. Nice. so, yeah. So. Fun stuff. And then you got all dressed up for the Taylor Swift concert in Nashville. You finished your bejeweled um, boots and outfit. You yes. looked smashing. Thank you. I wore those boots. Um, I took, okay, obviously I left the hotel. I feel them. like we should, we should be specific about those boots. Those were thigh high boots. They deserve to have thigh high before them for the yes. true Like the, the entire yeah, picture yes. of it. I, yeah, so they were thigh high. Um, one of them I did in rhinestones all the way up and the other one I did in the patchwork and mm-hmm. they looked amazing. I was they so did. happy with the end result. Um, it was great. The show was amazing. I wore those, I wore them, the thigh high boots. I threw from the hotel to the parking lot, from the parking lot to the venue. We ended up walking like I don't know, maybe a quarter of a mile from the parking lot to the venue. Not like too, too far. It was it was a walkable distance. It was totally fine. Yes. Um, and then I wore them while we took pictures and then got, we were in the 300s. So it's a stadium. So we were like, we were up high, right? Yes. Um, we could have stood. Because I don't pay you enough, obviously, to well, buy better tickets. Girl, because <laughs> Ticketmaster was out here doing a bunch of nonsense. Oh, that's right. It was Ticketmaster's fault. It was not mine. Girl, it's Ticketmaster. No, that 100% was Ticketmaster. That's that's a whole episode we could do on the, on the Ticketmaster fiasco. Ticketmaster is a narcissist. 
Ticketmaster is a narcissist, okay? Ticketmaster is a narcissist. They are a classic chaos core. An abusive bully. Yes! <laughs> and a control uh, freak. Uh, oh, don't get me started on Ticketmaster, because that'll be what we end up talking about tonight. And that's mm-hmm. not what we have on the schedule for tonight. No, we have something totally different on the schedule that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. Yes. Um, And I've noticed as I've gotten more active on social media, just with as a professional, not just the personal side of social media, that I've noticing a lot of trending um, opinions, kind of like a, a controversial kind of opinions going either way from either like lay people who went through something or even some professionals about two primary topics that are very related to one another and it's parental alienation and reunification therapy so we're going to dive deep into that tonight yes we've had quite a few cases for reunification therapy come across my desk in the last two weeks like, well, and in the last two yeah. years, it's become kind of a trendy service that's getting ordered a lot. And where the confusion of both topics comes into play is that if you line up 10 different professionals and ask them how to define it, they might give you 10 different answers. And that's where things in the therapy world just collapse. And it makes us lose our credibility. And it kind of pisses me off as a nerd and a research-oriented person. And so you're going to get a little bit of a soapbox tonight because I am very passionate about protecting children in general. Everything that I do is child-centered from the day I signed up to major in social work to the present. And when you're in the legal system and you have court-ordered services, they're typically, they've got two purposes that sometimes coincide and sometimes um, is a mismatch. So in family law, you've got children's rights and best interests, and you've got parental rights. And so both of these topics are definitely something that has come out of the intersection of parent legal rights Mm -hmm. and children's legal best interest. But it's a crossroads. And Sometimes the decisions to make in this type of situation where you're trying to honor both have a lot of pros and cons. Um, and sometimes it serving the parents' rights means denying the child their best interest. Sometimes serving the children's best interest and in the subjective view of that or the perception of children's rights means denying the parent rights. So this there's not a one size fits all here. It's very individualized, but I want to at least give everyone a foundational kind of definition of both. Okay. And so one thing that there's a lot of um, research on and a lot of opinions from professionals on is whether this question of whether or not parental alienation reaches the level of like a syndrome. It's definitely not a diagnosis. And a syndrome is kind of a word that also means not a diagnosis. It's also very subjective. Um, And so it doesn't really mean anything, to be honest. You know, you could have imposter syndrome. What does that actually mean? It just means that there's a pattern of feeling like you're an imposter sometimes. But there's no measurable 
information about how it gets to the level of syndrome. It's not like if you think you're an imposter three times a day, you have a syndrome. <laughs> There's, okay, so in in the um, in the DSM, there are mm-hmm. things called. I, obviously, you know this, but for anyone who doesn't, there are things called diagnostic criteria. So it sounds like what you're describing. People will, and obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is this is one of the things that we're talking about it, and I'm going in kind of blind on your side of this, where I'm like, I know what it is. I know that we offer it. I know the the like general the basic overview, but in terms of like digging into it, the depth, the details, I don't. So I'm going to be learning right along with everybody else on this one. And I'm very excited about it. I love when we do these episodes. Um, But so from what I'm understanding, going back to that comment about diagnostic criteria, it sounds like people when dealing with parental alienation are looking for some sort of diagnostic criteria, like, okay, this, this, and this happened. And that means this is parental alienation but you're saying that's not the case. There's there's not really a checklist that you can go over to figure out if it is or isn't parental alienation, correct? Correct, because a checklist, okay. just like DMS, DSM diagnostic criteria is based on something that is measurable, that has a measurable outcome. So like I can say, you have bipolar, if you meet four out of six of these and X, Y, and Z has been ruled out, then I can diagnose you with that. But there's, there's no structure for something that's not in the DSM. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And that's the message I really want to send out today is that think of parental alienation as not something that can be proven, but it's all, and if it can't be proven, it can't be disproven from the perspective of a quantifiable set of behaviors. That's a very different level of a standard than just to acknowledge there is a pattern of behaviors that when you put all these pattern of behaviors today together, that these patterns of behavior lead to a child to feel or have a perception of alienation from their parent. So it's really more of a nuance. Right. is a specific measurable outcome-based set of criteria. However, just like family dynamics and situations that we deal with are very diverse and complicated and messy, family law, your those two words are oxymorons. Yeah. The law is very logical, very legal, and very, you know, here's the law. It's very finite and rigid as it should be. But when you try to apply law to the concept of a family, it's going to be so individualistic and subjective that you're doing the best you can with what you have. And that's what my specialty is, is the intersection of family law dynamics and mental health mental health of all parties in the family and child protection, all the things that fall under mental health um, and families and children are intersecting with the law and they're going to butt heads at some point in time. Just a side note, this might be why sometimes you get legal advice from your attorney that doesn't sit right with you as a parent and it's because it's not parenting advice. Yeah. Legal advice. And we have, 
we have a lot of a lot of cases that come through. I can think of three separate ones right now where that exact thing has happened where you know we get these calls from these parents or we get emails or we get text messages and they're like this is what like the court is saying this is what Mm -hmm. my lawyer is saying this is what you know the the court appointed somebody else is saying but like this doesn't it doesn't feel right this does not feel like what's good for my kids Mm -hmm. what's best for my kids I don't know what to do what do you guys think I should do to which I say, let me schedule you with Courtney um, <laughs> because I am not a licensed professional. That's not, that's not my job. That's yeah. not my job. Um, and I'm saying to them when job. they come to me, hey, I might give you different advice than your mm-hmm. attorney gave you. And that's because I'm not an attorney and I'm not here to protect your legal rights. Yep. I'm not here to help you win in court. I'm here to help you make the best decisions you can for your situation and honor your child's best interest. And so they'll be like, well, which one should I follow? And I'm like, trust your intuition, you know, and that's really, so it's messy. It's complicated. So any times that we're trying to slap labels onto a messy, complicated situation, we're always going to be handicapped to an extent. It's never going to cover the full picture. So you do have to lower your expectations a little bit about this as well. So I think part of the controversies too comes into play about parental alienation because it is often, often weaponized by someone who is a chaos core as a smokescreen to keep people from looking too deeply at their um, covert actions or even sometimes their overt ones. So the things they didn't do, which always it's so much harder, even personally to calculate and estimate the things that didn't happen to you than it is the things that happened. But they can be really impactful. Yeah. And so a parent who maybe is like, hey, this chaos core parent's trying to get 50-50 and they've never done anything, that's a lot harder to prove because it's the absence of something. Uh And when you are the kind of person who's like, has a mama bear approach and you might get misperceived as the chaos core by the court system. We see that happen a lot too. That's a whole nother episode. That, I'm gonna do yeah. an episode on like, instead of being a mama bear, be a mama snake. We really need to do that because yeah. what was it last week when I called you in tears? Yes. Yeah. And that yes. was the whole conversation we had was, mm-hmm. hey, you, this is not the time to be the bear. You gotta be the snake. Yeah, yeah. You've and gotta have to be a little strategic and a little pill. sneaky. That is a yeah. hard pill to swallow. It's, it is. It's tough. Especially if, if you like tough. assume that logic is going to prevail. Logic doesn't live here. Logic doesn't live here and it doesn't live in your court case either I'm when you are in. navigating this. Yes, yeah. please. Well, um, so parental it. alienation in and of itself is just a set of behaviors and not just a set of behaviors. We'll link to a great article that has, um, we'll post it on social media, a graph like an infograph that kind of shows you all the variables. So I'm going to ask everyone to put on their nerdy hats, think of the scientific method that you learned in whatever grade. And remember that you're testing a hypothesis, right? And you're looking for variables that either prove or disprove your your hypothesis. 
some variables you can control, like what you're studying and when and where. Some variables you can't control, like the inherent nature of the subject. So parental alienation includes behaviors, but it also includes things like the personality of each parent. You know, it includes the different aspects that are influence the child's life, geographic things, you know, so things that are actually really neutral that nobody can do anything about, but combined with behaviors can result in what the courts refer to as resist refusal dynamics. And that is their language, that is not mental health language, that is legal language, to describe a situation where there is a visitation schedule and a child does not want to follow it. Okay, well, that's hey, it. That's it. All right. And the reason why the child doesn't want to follow it is, an, is kind of investigated. And that's where this accusation can come out of you're alienating me against my child. And if you bring that up in court, you got to prove it. But there's no proof for it, except what we call correlations. Now, this is another, um, remember your scientific method. There's a difference between causal dynamics and correlation. So cause and effect yes. is a very direct relationship. Like this caused this. You caused, you know, if I pet my cat in the wrong way, I have caused myself to be scratched. That's it. Now, correlation is something that there's a likelihood of a relationship, but it cannot be proven. Cause and effect can be proven. Parental alienation is more, relies more on a correlation of factors than it does a causal dynamic. So we can't say that that time that parent A called the child a name is the reason five years later that they don't want to visit parent A anymore. That's a cause and effect relationship. Way too much stuff has happened in five years for you to say is that one factor. Right. That's just science. Right. Um, and so how it gets... But again, you, I'm educating our audience on things that even the judge may not be educated on in their court hearing. Even the attorneys may not be educated on or the guardian litem or even the child's therapist. Let's just refer back to our how to find a good therapist episode for information on that. That's my favorite episode to refer to. Um, I mentioned to you in private conversation, but I'm going to share that here too, because I still That's think it's private hilarious. anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's hilarious that um, I did put a link to our podcast in my Tinder bio. And yes, you did. That is the one that I refer to. That episode specifically is the one I refer to all the time because it's, it immediately grabs attention. And so they're like, oh my God, what are you talking about on your podcast? I'm like, oh, it's like a super fun, like, Right. Super chill. It's whatever. We talk about divorce. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hope you require potential suitors to listen to that episode then. <laughs> I started sending that stuff out. 
I'm sending it left and right. Like, here you go, yes. here you go, here you go. Because my number one thing that I also say while I'm like, yeah, we talk about divorce is I'm like, we specifically talk about um, narcissistic abuse, psychological abuse, and all the red flags leading up to these events. So yeah. you can't get away with shit. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and you better believe that I thoroughly vet all potential partners through Courtney. So it's, it's yes. you know what? It's just, but that, the episode about um, finding the right fit for your therapist yeah. is, is the one that I'm always like, this is my favorite one we've done because I get to call out. Um, yeah, because I, it's one of my favorites too, because I get to be like openly judgmental of people who aren't doing a good job in my opinion. And because yes. I have the same job, I get to, I you know, I have a leg to stand on. And end up creating even bigger messes for us that then yes. we have to to deal with and try and clean up because like, you didn't know what you were doing and yeah. you didn't want to admit that you didn't know what you were doing. Right, right. Welcome. So, yeah. So we're going to get a little judgmental on this episode too because okay. parental alienation and saying that doesn't exist is also a form of weaponizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a way to say, you know, it's it's kind of like its own little drama triangle going back and forth about who's the alienator. I can't tell you how many times, and you actually know this, because so I can tell you, but for our audience, we get the same stories all the time coming in from each parent, just pointing fingers at each other. They did the alienation. Nuh-uh, she did. Nuh-uh, she did. And they feel very justified. They are very sure about their stance and they are very sure that they have the evidence to back it up. Mm-hmm. But they're also making a lot of assumptions about what it is and what it isn't. And it's just not that simple. It's no different than using the, you know, just I'm trying to think of like the most vague terminology ever. Let's just choose healthy and unhealthy. Everybody's got an opinion about what that is. Yeah. So you can't be like, He's unhealthy. No, she is. No, they are. Like, okay. Y'all probably are both have some unhealthy habits because you're human beings. Yeah. Um, and maybe you're also not nutritionist. So you're actually not educated about this in the first place. And, and that's really what's going on. You get a lot of uneducated, uninformed people who just take that phrase and make a lot of assumptions about what it is or isn't. And what doesn't help is that there is not a universal definition. So I'll hate on my profession for a moment and just be like, we've got these terms that we're throwing around and they're just too subjective. There's not a standard definition. Um, And so you want to look, so when you're looking for that standard definition, you know, look at it from a common sense approach, look at at it from a scientific approach. And find someone's definition that maybe lines up with that for you. But if you look at it from an emotionally reactive, you're going to find someone's definition that's um, more biased. Yeah. And it's not going to be the accurate one. Right. So what that has to do with reunification therapy is that the courts are using or court ordering this service that they have coined. This is a court language. This is legal language that's kind of mimicking some mental health language, and I'll I'll come back to that. So they are using this as an intervention to address or resolve the effects 
on a child of parental alienation so that really just that they'll visit with their parent. It's not working on the bond as much. And this is a, where some people have the mistake for good reasons, because when you think about reestablishing a bond with a child or working on having a closer relationship with your child, that is a whole nother layer, a, a whole upper echelon of um, a goal. But just getting your child to come to your house is a much lower threshold. Yes. Okay. And when courts are ordering reunification therapy, maybe there are, you know, hopes that the upper echelon goal will one day be reached, but they really are just limited to wanting the parents' rights to be upheld by the child following the visitation schedule, right? Okay, that's a much lower threshold. And the confusion comes into place because especially if people have knowledge of the child welfare world, reunification is a, is a common term in that world where you're literally, you're doing more like bonding work. You're, you're working on the upper echelon because the child's not refusing to go home. They just can't because of safety issues. Right. And nine times out of 10, they would rather go home with that parent, even in the presence of the safety issues. Yeah. Um, I want to, will you remind me to come back to that? Because that's an important thing I want to speak to later. So um, reunification in there is not resist refusal. It's more, you know, we had to remove this child because of safety reasons. And so for however long that took, we need to work on reestablishing the bond. It is very different in the family law world than it is in child welfare. So it's a much lower threshold of expectation of the outcome of the services. So just to sum it up, problem is child is not visiting said parent. Um, the terminology for that problem is called resist refusal dynamics. The solution or the preferred intervention for that is reunification therapy. And the reason for it, one of the reasons could be parental alienation dynamics. And I'm going to use the word dynamics because it's a set of what we just talked about. It's not even just behaviors. It's just dynamics. So that is the simplest explanation of what we're looking at here. Now, here's the other problem that my profession is struggling with. There's no standard Approach to implementing the intervention of reunification therapy. We have like maybe one or two books on it for therapists to follow. There's no certification in it. There's not a whole lot of research on outcomes, primarily because you would have to have the same person doing the same type of reunification therapy to even have a valid research study on it. Right. And we don't have that. So it's very subjective and interpreted by, it could be the therapist, it could be the judicial circuit, it could be an organization. So how it's done is very, very different. And, and now, that, oh, go ahead. With that, I have a question that you mm -hmm. may have actually already answered and I just haven't processed yet. But 
with going back to the to the thing about research studies on it, it 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 feels like one of those things where doing any kind of research study on that would almost be I don't want to say impossible, but statistically very difficult because of just the nature of of the difference in reasons and bonds and, and the variables in it. It's like, how are yeah. you going to create a standard set of procedures for something that is so different case to case? And I think that also is something that people, you know, would have difficulty like processing and understanding if they aren't familiar with with this this world this Mm -hmm. this uh career path this environment that that you and I work in in different capacities well you hit on a gap in our world anyway is that there's just not enough research on outcomes in the divorce child custody world to begin with it's severely lacking um and that has a lot to do with subjectivity you're describing some barriers that are barriers that are just inherent to studying human behavior. Yeah. So there are yeah. there mean, are ways around it. We have figured out a lot of things, you know, like your control group and your methodology. So what could happen in something that we work on within our organization because we do specialize and we do use an integrative service model that's replicable. We have very meticulous process and procedures, even within our interventions. So I can describe that before we wrap up about how we do reunification therapy. Um, But that's what it's going to take. It's going to say, you know, like this type, this methodology of how we did reunification therapy can be researched because we controlled for as many variables as we could. And then you can run, you know, like fancy statistical software to give yeah, you your, you know, yeah, you're like, I don't even know what to call it. Statistically significant. Oh my yes. gosh. I can't remember, believe I remember that. You Thank know. you, Dr. Robertson. Um, okay. <laughs> so yeah, shout out to Margaret Robertson, my uh, MSW research professor. Amazing. Okay. Yes. Um. So that's what's going on here. That's why we have you know, the lay person and these trending things on social media being like, this is horrible. Well, maybe in your experience, it probably was horrible, but that doesn't mean that it's horrible as a concept. If you are operating on, if you are operating on the kind of definition that we described before, that's right. common sense, scientific. Um, so when things get implemented, it's really up to the professional that's being used to decide how to implement the service. And if you get a negative outcome, that doesn't necessarily mean that your professional, you know, the professional did it wrong. There could just be some variables present that make your situation much more extreme or it's more severe or, you know, there's all kinds of things that can go into play here. But what we can do is at least acknowledge that it's just a neutral thing. Reunification therapy is not bad in and of itself. Parental alienation is not, you know, imaginary in and of itself. It's just a thing. And it's a thing that may be happening. There may be a correlation of the variables in your situation that indicate 
a child has been experienced parental alienation. Not to mention, it can be unintentional. It can literally be an oopsie. Yeah. Like, oops, didn't know that was going to alienate my child. But, we see that all the time, too. That's why we have the oh, Children yeah. of Divorce Bill of Rights. Because we are educating parents. Like, you may not know that your child who went through your child of divorce needs to be parented a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. We're going to educate you on that. And they sometimes they see it and they're like, oh, snap. I did not realize that was a no-no. And then you learn and you don't do it again. Technically, you were engaging in parental alienation. Yeah. But you didn't know. You had no idea. It's, I mean, that's something in my parents' divorce back when I was 13, 14, I think, you know, early teens, that I very quickly kind of had to sit down with both my parents and be like, I'm not okay with you talking to me about the other parent and your opinions Mm -hmm. on them. I don't want to know. I don't want to hear it because that's still my parent. Like, and that in and of itself, it's something that I think people don't realize. I mean, I'm sure some people do realize in the moment Mm -hmm. that is their intent, but I'm sure there are parents that don't realize, you know, expressing that frustration to your children Mm -hmm. can be that right there. That can be extremely alienating and it can kind of create those, you know, we talk about the black and white dynamics and the the drama Mm -hmm. triangle and it, I, I think it can, you know, potentially put children in a place where they feel like, oh, now I have to pick a side. Right. I have to decide which parent I'm going to side with because I'm not allowed to be, I, I can't be neutral here. Mm-hmm. Like I'm being put in a position where I do have to, okay, yeah. either I need to go with parent A or parent B. And that's, that's not mm-hmm. great. It's not all. Awesome. And you're describing the obvious. You're describing yeah. like the verbal, but the alienation just, is a perception. So your child's perception doesn't have to be based on fact. They could just perceive because you could never say something bad about the parent and still in a way be engaged in alienation just because you never said anything good. Yeah. According to your child's perception, they can pick up on your tension. Like you don't even have to say anything. You could have a fixed smile on your face. Kids can pick up on the tension in the room and that could be an alienating behavior. Like there's just so much there's so much so you just have to be aware like a lot of self-awareness be educated and then you can change your behavior so when I'm in court and I am expressing concern because I see parental alienation dynamics I won't really express that concern until I have educated the parent pointed it out and they're still doing it And they know better and they're not doing better. That's the point at which I, as like a child's therapist, will be like, this parent is being intentional. That's, I cannot rule out that they're being intentional because I have already done X, Y, and Z. And either they have a cognitive delay or they don't care. That is something that I want us to circle back on in a different Mm -hmm. episode. Um, That concept in and of itself, the, the kind of, Okay, you see something that you know isn't great, be it in, you know, what you do and being somebody's therapist, or you see it in, you know, for me, I'm not a therapist, so it would be in interpersonal relationships or potentially professional mm-hmm. relationships. The the concept of sitting down with that person and addressing it with them directly mm-hmm. and then letting them make their choice on if they're going to continue that behavior or yes. not. And then yeah. your steps forward at that point, because that is something that I see talked about so much online. This, mm-hmm. this concept, you see it, especially, I see it all the time on TikTok where people do these like 
expose TikToks where they're like, this is all the stuff that my ex-boyfriend did, or this is all the stuff that my Mm -hmm. ex-girlfriend did, or this is the stuff that my ex-best friend did, right? And then people in the comments, one of the first things they'll say is, why did you not take this to them directly? Why did you not talk to them about this? Use your words, honey. You need to use your words first. Yeah, we need to use our words. But then I think, you know, I think people can understand that at a base level. You've got to use your words first. Yeah. I say that, but if that was true, we wouldn't have a podcast. So, (laughs) Well, it's got to be safe to use your words too. Or you yes, got to use, exactly, use your exactly. words in a compassionate, neutral way. But if you don't know, then I understand why you didn't say anything. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's, it's fair enough. So yeah. um, I think, you know, you, you get to that point, you get to the point, you're able to use your words. You express what you need to express <laughs> and talk to that individual about it. Right. And then they do, you know, what you just described is that mm-hmm. parent, you've talked to them about parental alienation. They're still continuing the behaviors, even though they know that that's not okay, that, that that's yes. not an okay mm-hmm. thing. I don't think people know what to do once you hit that point. <laughs> what do you do well, at that point? Pointed it out, and they're still doing that thing. Well, at that point, at that point in the legal system, it becomes more like evidence. Yeah. You know, you just reach the level of evidence for the court because now we see there is likely some intention behind your actions, and you can't be like, "Oops, I didn't know." Um, and so, what happens though? when it's this terminology is abused or weaponized is that it is trying to like, there's no ownership of your own behaviors and how they may have contributed. And so without that, there needs to be an assessment of both parents to really determine if one parent's engaging in this because both parents could contribute to it. The fact that you guys are in court could contribute to it. You know, your child can pick up on that. Um, So when someone gets falsely accused of alienation behaviors, it typically is because they have expressed their concerns, not in a compassionate, neutral way. So this is going to circle back to the drama triangle. Always does. They have raised that person's defensiveness and how they have communicated. And because of that, that person now, that chaos four, can take that fuel, that ammunition for the fire and twist it and manipulate it. And they can sometimes fool the uneducated professionals involved, both mental health and legal. Yeah, yeah it's something, um, it's funny because I just a moment ago got a notification from TikTok that your, your page, not the podcast page, your page viewed our profile the podcast profile oh, and I was like hey, listen <laughs> I I'm just gonna I'm gonna segue I'm just gonna take a side note here but I <laughs> have had that account for a year and yeah. I logged in for the first time today how many me- let me just how tell you, you I, me? let me just tell you I popped my 10 my uh TikTok cherry today <laughs> did you post something no I just oh, logged okay. in okay. Okay. <laughs> you post no it? I didn't post anything yet my sister had a year's worth of stuff in my inbox that she has shared with me and I was just dying laughing all day all day <laughs> I'm just like and you had sent me a bunch of stuff which your stuff didn't make yeah. me laugh as much as it made me cry because oh, yeah, it was oh, like heavy stuff but my, my sister's stuff, stuff is, yeah. was like super you know like irreverent across the yeah. board um, um but yeah my, no yeah. I took a deep dive <laughs> and yeah I'm there. I will post something eventually. That's because Um, the stuff that I send you, especially if it's from my personal account or if it's from the podcast account, 
Um, that's because it's content. Okay. It's, it's stuff that I need content. you to yes, do something with. I know. <laughs> yeah. So it's I mean, I'm not hating on you, Liv, but I did enjoy what my sister sent me more. <laughs> I think that's fair. You know, to be fair, I yeah. think I would enjoy what your sister sent you more. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah totally. it's being on the podcast account. It's depressing. It's a little. I have so to take a break. We'll liven it sometimes. up at some point. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get my sister to send us stuff then. Oh, amazing! <laughs> so yeah. put on that because she finds yeah. the funny stuff. That's All right, so yeah, circling back from our TikTok, and every time I say, I say TikTok, I also want to say Tinder because you brought that up earlier. So I'm, I'm so like, sorry. Stumbling over my t- <laughs> word. <laughs> TikTok. That's the app we're talking about, not Tinder. Talk. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So you could have just, you know, like everybody's contributing to alienation of the child because nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows they're in a drama triangle and everybody's pointing fingers and logic doesn't live here. So everyone loses, basically. So this is goes back to part of our mission with the Divorce Resource Center and No Divorce Drama is to increase the training and education of legal and mental health professionals about the drama triangle so they don't contribute to the problem, but think they're helping because that's what's going on. Yes. Yes. Because they it's... think they're the rescuer and maybe they are, but they are the rescuer in a drama triangle and, and it's, it's not going to sustain. It's never good. It's never good to, to yeah. do that. What's that? Yeah. What's that? Uh, for, oh, um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Hell yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> thousand percent. I mean, that is so true. I see that literally every day from therapists and from parents and from lawyers. And I just got to be like, Mm-mm. hold up, yeah. Which, hold up roadblock. We're going to stop this right now and repair this bridge because this Uh bridge is going to crash Uh down. It brings us all the way back to something we talked about in one of our first couple of episodes, which is intent versus impact. Your intention can be so good and so wonderful Mm -hmm. and so amazing and so just, you know, glorious and awesome. But the Mm -hmm. impact of that action can still be negative. And that is the thing that you have to focus on. You cannot focus on the intent. You have to focus on the impact. And I think that can cause a lot of issues internally for people. I think that can cause a lot of, you know, emotional confusion. Mm-hmm. And I think also it's kind of a, a bruise to the ego, you know? Well, you, and it's a black hole of itself because if you're focusing on intention, you're mm-hmm. trying to get in somebody else's brain. Good luck with yeah, that. Yeah. Like that's not possible. It's never going to work, yeah. babe. Like that's it's just, just yeah. not going to work. I'm sorry. It's just going to make you feel worse all day long. It is. And that's a boundary to set to just focus on when you say the impact, also just to focus on what you can control versus what you can't control. Exactly. So just to kind of sum it up, you know, these are not bad things in and of themselves. They are also not, not things. They are things. Parental alienation is a thing. Okay. There's a big difference between a thing and a diagnosis and a thing and a syndrome. You know, it just is a thing. It's a set of variables that leads to a problem and reunification therapy and sometimes reunification camps. That's like a more intensive experience are designed to be an intervention for this thing when done well. And we're still learning what well is. They, it can be effective. And what's effective is subjective you know 
maybe it's effective that the child at least spends time with this parent, but maybe it, it is a good idea for the child to not get very close to the parent emotionally. Right. We can have surface level relationships. Absolutely. My, the, the question that I get a lot in this category is why is it okay for a court to force a child to interact with a parent that was abusive to them? And my question is because it's their parent. And the reason why I say that is because I have worked in child welfare my whole career. I was knee deep in it the first 10 years. And I have worked with children who have been abused, severely abused. And nine times out of 10, that child still wants a relationship with their parent. They just want the abuse to stop. Yeah, that's it. But what's happening in the divorce world is that we are getting children that, yeah, they may have been abused. It wasn't investigated like it's investigated in the child welfare cases I was involved in. But these children are getting abused. And then they're saying later, I don't want a relationship with you because you abused me this one time five years ago. Or the abuse has stopped and they are like, oh, no, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. I know for a fact that that is not organic. Because if the abuse has stopped and if the parent that perpetrated the abuse has done X, Y, and Z, and they should have to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not saying they should go back nilly-willy and they right. never have to admit right. anything wrong. Right. It still needs to be emotionally safe for the child. Yeah. It's not It's not something that is taken lightly. But reunification therapy, yeah. when we do it, we work one-on-one with that parent to get them to X, Y, and Z before we bring them together. Yes, absolutely. But we're still going to do it because that parent-child relationship is a lifelong impact. And if there is a way to intervene earlier rather than later, then you're preventing a lot of long-term interpersonal problems, relationship problems for that child in the future. Because mommy and daddy issues, if we didn't have mommy and daddy issues, I wouldn't have a career. Yeah. And it's, it's another one of those things where I, I think turning, there are phrases that are this is not to the same degree as what I'm about to say, but, but I see it a lot on TikTok, especially being on the mental health side of TikTok. People will throw around terms that they think they understand, but they don't, or mm-hmm. that they do understand and are intentionally making light of. And that can be very, very damaging um, in the long term for society's understanding of those things. Uh, you see it a lot with terms like narcissist, with gaslight, with um, right. psychopath, with sociopath, you know, mm-hmm. words like this, where it's or like bipolar, um, schizophrenic, you know, you see it where yes. somebody will be like, oh my God, you're being so bipolar. And it's like, cool, that's not what that word means. Yeah. Like that's not, it's not what that word means. You're mm-hmm. adding to this stigma around bipolar disorder. Like we need to not do that. Mm-hmm. This a, a similar thing is happening with the terms mommy issues and daddy issues, mm-hmm. where it's become like a fun, quirky personality trait. And yeah. I'm like, ah, this is a thing that actually impacts like your life and your, your personal relationships. Yes. And, and it's like a never I mean, thing that you need to go to therapy and like talk. To in full disclosure, I am still working on mine. They came to a head like a big old teenage pimple after my divorce. 
Yeah. You know, I was like, I thought like, this was in therapy in my 20s. Uh, I thought I already dealt with this. What do you yeah. mean it's back? With a vengeance, might I add. Right? It does like, not go away. One of my favorite awesome. authors, one of my absolute favorite authors is Susan Forward. I recommend her books all the time. And her very last book was Mothers Who Can't Love. And she was like in retirement when she wrote that. Her own, like, she's, she's open and she was basically like, my own mommy issues were so bad, even as a professional and a prolific author of self-care books and self-help books that I could not write this book until my mom died. Yeah. That That's reminds how long me it, of um, Jeanette McCurdy's book. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, I'm glad my mom died. Yes. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. And so that's where I get fired up and where I get on my soapbox about why not try? Why let your child make the decision right now to sever a relationship with a very impactful mm-hmm. relationship for your entire life without at least trying? Yeah. You know, it, without some, I mean, you've really, got an oversight, you've got a court involved, you got eyes on it. Like, let them at least try. And that's what we're doing here is we're basically taking kids who have been intentionally or unintentionally, their view of their parent has been to see them as the persecutor. They have been pulled into a drama triangle. If they do not want to have anything to do with their parent because of abuse in the past, but abuse in the future is not likely to occur. Then and there's professionals involved. You know, I just think that it's worth a chance. It's worth a try. Now, there's some cases where the abuse is severe enough. I will acknowledge severity that it's not okay. They need to wait. So especially in terms of like incest and sexual abuse, which right. we unfortunately deal with. We have a video on our website that shows that it was an incest case that inspired everything we do, literally the entire organization from the beginning. So that happens. And so those are situations where there may, the severity of the abuse needs to be equal to the, the, um, the stringent nature of whatever kind of intervention needs to occur. In terms of, you know, I hear like re-traumatization get thrown around a lot as the reason. Trauma needs to be healed. It can't be healed on its own. It does not get better with time. It gets worse. So what you're saying is you're keeping your child traumatized and not dealing with it. And keeping them there and not dealing with it is never an appropriate intervention for trauma. No, it won't. And I, I think that's the other reason to consider reunification therapy because yeah, it may be traumatizing at first, but it will eventually heal it. Yes. It will be healing in the long run. And and that, you know, when we were deciding what to to talk about for this episode, we had kind of mentioned that and we had said, you know, it's reunification therapy is something that, you know, holding holding on to emotions like anger and blame mm-hmm. and and all of those things it's that that's not healthy that is one of the mm-hmm. things that people across the board will agree 
it's not healthy to hold on to those things. Yeah. You should make space for those feelings when they arise. You should you should make space yeah. for them and acknowledge them and their place in in your your personhood. But mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that you need to to live with them for the rest right. of your life. Right. You you do yeah. at some point need to be able to move on past that. Mm-hmm. And I think reunification therapy is one of those things where even if your child wants nothing to do with that other mm-hmm. parent, even if your child says they abused me. I don't ever want to have a relationship with them. I don't want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Your child has trauma associated with that parent. In order for your child to be able to let go of that past trauma, mm-hmm. they have to be able to face it head on. And they can't yeah. do that by themselves. Right. Could, from my own experience in therapy, it my therapist, one of the things that we rarely disagree, but this is one of the things that I said, no, absolutely mm-hmm. not. I will never do that. I don't want to do that. And it wasn't until weeks later that I was like, oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Damn. Yeah. I'm not happy about it, but you're right. Yeah. Um, my previous chaos core, the one that I most recently got out of, mm-hmm. my therapist said, you don't have to do this anytime soon. Mm-hmm. You don't have to start planning for prepping for it now. Yeah. At some point in the future, you you'll need to consider having one last conversation mm-hmm. just to lay it to bed to know yeah. that you yeah. didn't get to do that at the time. Right. Because, you know, that person was there, mm-hmm. she was there, and then she was gone. And there was yeah. no nothing. And that's that's unhealed trauma that I still have. Right. Of I didn't get to address that. I didn't get to to do those mm-hmm. things. I didn't I never got that. And it's, yeah, going to therapy. I love going to therapy and I talk about mm-hmm. it. And I talk about, you know, other things and I talk about all that and I talk about it to you and my friends and, and my sister and that's wonderful, but it's different. It's different. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something that I don't think, and it's that mama bear instinct, you know, it's that protective yeah. of I yeah. want to protect my child from any potential harm, mm-hmm. but it is harming them to not be able to address it in the right. way it really needs to be addressed. And that's yeah. what patient therapy is. It's yeah. addressing. And and I come from the belief system of and I'm I'm coming from also a place where I was estranged from a parent for years. And it was worth it to me as an adult to heal that. And one of the things that helped me with that too was and, and I'll give a shout out to Susan Forward again. One of my favorite books of hers is called Toxic Parents. And she outlines different types of parents. And this is a read for an adult rather than a kid. But at the end of the book, it gives you full circle. And she basically walks you through a closure activity or a, confront, a form of a confrontation activity and helps you process what kind of boundary do you want with this person in the future, whether they completely change their behaviors or not. And there's different types of tiers of a relationship you can have with them before, instead of just all in or all out. And what I'm seeing in these court cases with children who are still minors is that it's being, for for some therapists and for some parents and for some courts, they're giving them the autonomy to just decide all in or all out. And they're missing on a gazillion other nuances to what that could look like. And that's what reunification therapy is trying to promote is trying to find the middle ground or somewhere between all in and all out to have some kind of type of relationship that is safe enough. 
So I want to wrap up just by kind of sharing how we do it. Yeah. We do have a very specific protocol. Yes. So with our reunification therapy, we do two to three sessions, individual with the child, separate and concurrent individual with the parent. We also require that the children has an individual therapist who we collaborate with regularly, because especially when there has been trauma, we want to make sure that the child, before they're brought into a joint session, has the appropriate coping skills to deal with the distress they will experience. And this is distress tolerance skills to deal with an uncomfortable feeling, trauma coping skills to deal with the situation. Because some people have trauma that they can never avoid. If they have a trauma from a car accident, they can't just stop driving. They've got to feel some discomfort and they've got to have some distress tolerance skills as a result. When it comes to a parent-child relationship, that's always going to be your parent. So you might as well try to have some distress tolerance with them. So we are relying on the individual therapist to have the child at a process far enough along in therapy that they have that skill set and it's demonstrable. And then with the other parent, with the what we call the um, non-preferred parent, we're giving them education on the drama triangle. They're getting education on what abuse is and what it isn't. They're getting education on parental alienation. They're getting the Children of Divorce Bill of Rights. And it's not until the therapist feels like they have a true buy-in to those concepts that we, we will say they're ready for a joint session. And it, we do the same thing with the child. They're getting education that's age appropriate. Um, and they're getting a chance to communicate their boundaries. And we're setting up boundaries before the joint session ever happens. Sometimes as detailed as we give the child some code words to use if they want the session to end or if they need a break. Um, so it's very mapped out. And once they come together, we one of the ground rules that we've established is that we are not going to try to resolve the past. That's an individual task. Um, so we are, we're using basically um, short-term brief solution focused therapy techniques for the joint sessions to move them forward and to find some common ground and to determine what their individual boundaries are gonna be with each other moving forward. When it comes to visitation and resuming visitation, we'll set many goals of how about we add a dinner and see how that goes and how about we do this. And at any point, if during the session, the parent gets off track or starts to demonstrate behavior that they've already been coached not to, then I will call it out in front of the kid. You know, I will always put their their needs for emotional safety first. There may be also times that I'm also requiring the parent be an individual therapy and I'm working with their individual therapists as well. So it's very strategic. It's There's lots of protective measures put into place. That's how we do it. And then once that child feels comfortable resuming visitation, that's the success. I don't need them to have a close relationship again. You know, if, if we want to work on that later, that's called family therapy at that point. <laughs> yes. That's the difference. Yes. And so 
Now I have heard of situations with my own clients where I was individual therapist, maybe I've heard of situations where the court ordered reunification therapy, the child went to the therapist, told them all the reasons they didn't want to see their parent. The therapist had them write a letter telling the parent all those reasons. They invited the parent to the next session and that was the end of reunification therapy. The kids read a letter about why I don't want to see you. And the therapist went to the judge and said, I did reunification therapy and it didn't work. Now let's compare the two formats, the two approaches. You know, it's, it's where we end up circling back to our episode (laughs) on how to find, how to find a good therapist for you. Yes. That was not a good therapist. No, it wasn't. Um, I'm just going to call him out. Dr. So-and-so. Hey. I don't care that you got doctor in front of your name. Your letters are before your names and mine are after. That'll make you better. (laughs) Yeah. So, um... Now I'm getting ornery. So now I'm getting sassy. <laughs> oh, but you know what? I'm right there along with you. Not with that specific incident because I wasn't there for that conversation. However, yeah. you know, you know my, <laughs> you know my horror story with a uh, yes, yeah. And I hear them all the time, and then I'm like, well, great. Thank you, Dr. So-and-so. Now I have to pick up the mess that you made. I have to re-educate these people because now Dr. So-and-so said this, so it must be true. No, Mm ma'am. No, sir. No, they were wrong. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I can prove it to you because I use research-based stuff. So anyway, that's how we do it. We're actually, I'm currently working on creating a curriculum based on how we do it for reunification therapy. So to sad. help address this profession y'all y'all should know by now if i see a problem i don't i don't like look at it and be like well that sucks Holla. Yeah, like, oh, i'm like if i see a problem and i know how to fix it i'm like crap now i gotta take another project that's what i do i know and then i get a text and it says hey so how would you feel about yes let's solve this let's lofty problem yeah, let's do it i'm ready in the time i don't have we'll figure it out one day if anybody wants to like send me to an island Mm. you got a rich uncle you want to send me to an island to churn out this us sorry us you want to send us to an island to churn out this curriculum i will do it call me text me your rich uncle's address i'm there you know what maybe amy was onto something with that uh mini admin retreat idea she had I'm just say uh, now you're spilling admin meeting secrets <laughs> look i've been trying to do a retreat for the team for a while i ain't got time for that either i know we really don't i need don't. a donor i need we don't a sugar daddy mama grandma uncle whatever, whatever. we need some sugar so we yeah. can take the time off of work <laughs> to do it but then it's also like the idea of us taking time off of work. Can we just joke about the fact that I got accused today of doing this just for the money? Can we joke about that? <laughs> oh, that will be a conversation that you and I have. Can we just say recording? <laughs> what? If I did this for the money, y'all. 
Yo, no. what money? I'm sorry, what money? <laughs> I don't what money. And even if I did have the money, I ain't got time to spend it. What like money? nobody gets into this work for the money. For the money. This it's not, not enough. Believe it's me, not. it's not ever much it is. It's not it's enough. enough. It's we, not. This is the life of the struggle bus, but we are just so passionate about helping you and your children that we will jump on that bus with you. It is the passion that drives this. I still can't. I'm... <laughs> this is like, what money? Yeah. You have no I, idea. This is kind I, of for somebody with a trust fund too. So let's just consider the source. Is it who I think it is? Yes, it's who you think it is. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, sir. If you're listening. No, sir. Go ahead, give me a call. No, there is not enough money in the world for me to only have that as my motivation mm-hmm. to deal with you. God. And people like you, like I do day in and day out. Yes, I really want, I genuinely want to help you. I want to help you see that you are in a drama triangle. I want to help you see that you are a chaos core. And I want to lead you away from the darkness into the light. Just let me do it. That, is a, that comes from a very genuine place. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, that's kind of the whole thing is, is that it does. And I'm literally cheaper than Dr. So-and-so. Come on. You're already getting a discount. Like you're, it's, that's the, that is one of the things that I will kind of just never fully like get and understand is when we have people who will be like, I'm not going to pay that. I'm going to go somewhere else. And I'm like, you do understand, you understand like, it because you understand the drama triangle. It's just drama triangle behavior. It's just someone knee deep in the muck and they have no idea they're in the muck. They have no idea they're in the muck. And they may not have the ability to ever have the idea they are in the muck. That may be legit personality disorder. The that's you a know, whole episode that I that's a whole episode, but that that's um, how severe it can get. Is like the ability to have self awareness is not there. It's, it's gone. Possible. It's that's it's not a, coming back. Yeah, that's a whole conversation that I unfortunately have to have frequently. And those are the people who typically I fire because you've probably crossed my boundary so much as a professional. You got fired. Yeah. I I got my peace of mind to protect you. Yeah. Like and it takes a lot to get in to get me to that place, but once I'm there, there's no I promise you your money's not worth it anymore. Yeah. It's it's like that's a whole thing that I have to explain to people. Um a lot is there are it, it it goes hand in hand just with the drama triangle in and of itself, because I think people can fall into this kind of false sense of security mm-hmm. um, or, or false sense of hope almost when learning yeah. about the drama triangle of like, oh, okay, it's a faulty perception. So if I change the perception, no, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. For yourself you know and your own peace of mind. Yeah. You know what that is? Rescuer behavior. We don't That's do right. That. Yeah. We don't do that. You can't do it. And so then it's, it's a thing that I have to kind of delicately explain and this is specific to my situation which is not across the board with all drama triangles mm-hmm. of course because there are differing levels of severity um but you know with mine it was having to explain 
it's not just a faulty perception. It's, it's a, it's a lack of accountability. It's a lack of a sense of self. It's, it's all of these different components Mm -hmm. that when you start going through them and you start addressing each and every one of them, what happens to that person is not good. Like what happens to Mm -hmm. that person could be very, very damaging to them and their mental health. Because that is a little shield that they've built around themselves. The, and you an avoidance. Yeah. And yeah. you're not a professional. That's something they got to work through with, with the professional. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very maladaptive coping skill for yes. uncomfortable feelings. Yes. So it's, if you never have to take ownership, you don't have to feel maybe the deep-rooted shame that you've never felt with that if you felt makes you want to die. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the protection that's happening when people are chaos. Absolutely. Absolutely. A miserable place to be emotionally, but it is a maladaptive coping skill. No different than someone who is getting high or getting drunk every time they have an uncomfortable feeling. Yes. It is a maladaptive coping skill at its core. That is what's happening. And 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 that's why we have compassion for them. Even though you can be on the receiving end of the hurt, you can understand. still have compassion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's nobody wants wishes that on anyone. Oh my god, no, because it's a miserable way to live. And it's it is it it sounds so harsh when I say it, but it's one of the only ways that I've been able to like process and fully understand it myself. So I don't know if anybody else will kind of like Mm -hmm. grasp onto that and it'll click for them too. But I had to kind of remind myself you know, we, you and I talked off the podcast and we've talked a little bit here and there about diversion tactics mm-hmm. and how it's also deflection, which we've also talked about in regards to parental alienation. Yeah. Those are all defense mechanisms. Exactly. They're all defense mechanisms. And so it's, it's reaching out to other people and saying that you're the bad guy. It's, you know, those ongoing victim narratives. It, it's accusing yeah. you of things that you never did. It's, all of those things, right? There are ways for them to not have to do any kind of self-aware thinking. Yes. They will never have to take accountability for themselves so long as they can rationalize in their head that mm-hmm. you are the problem. Yeah, because it, they can't tolerate the pain that accountability would bring. Exactly. And yeah. So to, to acknowledge to themselves at their mm-hmm. core who they are, and what they have done is too much to handle. They can't yes. do it. And that's horrible. And that's, that's a miserable way to live. Because mm-hmm. from my perspective, in the, the situations that I've seen over my 25 years, you know, mm-hmm. those people do not live lives that are real. Yeah. And what I mean, you know, I, you, you know what I mean by that. But, mm-hmm. but what I mean for those who don't, who hear that and are like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I, I mean... They live in a fantasy world. They live in a world that they have created and carved out of cognitive dissonance. Yeah, yeah. And an illusion. It's an illusion. And to shatter mm-hmm. that illusion would be more damaging than mm-hmm. just letting them live in it and getting yeah. yourself out of it. I know. Gosh. All right. We're ending on a sad note, but. We are. Well, you did say, you did say earlier that you had a funny story you wanted to tell me. I don't remember what it was. What was my funny story? I have no idea. What was it in reference to? I don't know. I think I already, 
I think it was, maybe it was that I got on TikTok for the first time. I don't remember. Or was it that maybe it was that I unclogged two toilets right before this episode? That was pretty funny when we were getting off the phone. I mean, literally, I like was sweating when we started because I had just unclogged two toilets. I had just started a load of toilet water towels. And oh, so that's the load of towels that you had to do. Yeah, because I have to like, I mean, I was in session all day. These are, I had to tell the kids, like, do not use mommy's toilet. And then I had to tell them, don't use either of the toilets. Can't use the toilets. Like, you can use them, but put your toilet paper in the trash. I'll deal with it later. This is, yeah. Thankfully, we're moving, but that's a whole other story. That's a, oh, yeah, God, that's fun. Okay. So, moral of the story is parental alienation is a thing, and reunification therapy doesn't have to be terrible. Yes. And thanks for joining us for story time. That's the whole, that's the whole point. That's the whole yeah. thing, start to finish. And yeah. if you are in a situation where you are, you heard my description of reunification therapy and you said, that sounds like amazing and so much better than what's happening now. Or you think that you've got a therapist that's not really following best practices. I do professional consultation. Sure I will teach your therapist to do better. Absolutely. We also just do, um, free consultations if you're in yeah if you're in georgia and you want services here we can do that even if you're across the you know somewhere else i can help your professional do better if they know better they'll do better let's just give them that grace shoot us an email at divorcecare at drcofga.com I monitor that email, so you also could just email me directly at livmatthews at drcofga.com because it goes to the same person no matter what, but it's fine. Um, But yeah, it it is something that we can help with. So if it's something that you think you need help with, reach out. I mean, that's literally what we're here for. So give us a call. Give us an email. It's not for the money. It's, It's not for the money that we aren't just swimming in. We're just trying to make the world a better place. Help people, like, oh my gosh. Right, we can all get along. Okay, I'm digressing. I'm getting delirious, it's bedtime. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, bye. Bye. Hey, it's Liv. Thanks for listening. While you're here, don't forget to follow us on social media to keep up with all the behind the scenes of the podcast, as well as some awesome bonus material from me and Courtney about what it is we do when we're not recording. You can find us at KDD underscore pod on Instagram, no divorce pod on Twitter, no divorce drama on TikTok, and just search no divorce drama, the podcast on Facebook. See you there.